Hi and welcome to the Healthy Gossip. My name is Sonia Nulla. I am connecting with you from the Midday News Room at the close of September, which is the month of PCOS awareness. Of course, we would discuss this extremely pertinent subject on our podcast today. One of the most prominent voices from the medical fraternity discussing the subject on social media is Dr. Tanya Narendra, who runs a page by the name of Dr. Cuteris on Instagram. She joins us today to discuss everything relating to PCOS and physical fitness. We will also extend this discussion to other factors like exercising during IVF treatments and when on your periods. Hi, Dr. Tanaya. It's so good to have you here. Hi, Sonia. It's so lovely to meet you and very excited to have this conversation. I know I've spoken to you a lot in the past about PCOS, of course. You've spoken about a certain list of uh, symptoms that you see in women and what amongst them finally helps you all determine whether she actually has the condition or not. So can you talk to our listeners about what those are? So there's three things we have to look out for and out of those three, there's essentially a criteria that we follow. And if two of those are fulfilled among those three, we're like, okay, this sounds like PCOS. Uh, One of the things we do is we do an ultrasound. We look at the ovaries. Now, a lot of people believe that if there's, you know, cysts on your ovaries, you have PCOS. That's not what it is. And PCOS doesn't actually have cysts, but cyst-like things on your ovaries on an ultrasound. Or you should have an actual feature of excess testosterone or a hormonal imbalance. So we look out for things like hair loss. We look out for things like acne pigmented patches over say the back of your neck in the folds of your skin this is called acanthosis okay and this is one of the things we look out for and other than that we also see if there's any feature of irregular periods or irregular ovulation we look for two of these features amongst out of the three and if two are fulfilled we do classify that person as a PCOS individual. We look out for hormonal imbalance, we look out for irregular ovulation and we look out for ovarian picture. Um, Because you just mentioned it doc, is the role of the lack of periods uh, more prominent in the diagnosis compared to the other two factors? There are hundreds and hundreds of reasons of irregular periods. So we don't, if if it's irregular periods, we don't run with the diagnosis of PCOS. A lot of my patients are like, oh acne, uh, irregular periods, I have PCOS. That's not how it is. There's also a discussion around uh, how women who have PCOS have weight-related issues. Now, can you simplify for us, uh, you know, Doc, what is the science behind the condition and why is it linked to weight-related concerns in women? So, one of the main things that happens in PCOS is something called insulin resistance. Now, we don't quite know why PCOS happens, where it comes from, whatever happens there. We're still, unfortunately, still struggling to understand it. And so far, the focus has been very ovary focused, you know, it's called polycystic ovarian syndrome. But the symptoms are not very ovary focused. Impact of this um, condition are not specifically just on the ovaries. It's a very reproductive angle and we normally tend to look at women's health issues from just like, Now people are studying that there's a lot of impact on your uh, metabolism, on the way your hormones all over your body function, not just your reproductive hormones. The main thing that we are able to understand at this moment is insulin resistance. Now insulin is something your body secretes that helps your body metabolize fat, make fat, make muscle, maintain your blood sugar, things of that sort. Insulin is like your boss, who's, you know, you're the body's boss, who's telling the body, hey man, put this here, put that here, bring this up, 
and you know it is like coordinating everything. But when you have PCOS or when you have insulin resistance in particular, your body stops listening to that boss. It just like stuffs its ears, it is like la 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 la, no idea what is happening. And that is when insulin will be there, but your body is not responding to that insulin. So, there is resistance to that insulin and that leads to multiple features in the metabolism in your body. And that is why a lot of people who struggle with PCOS have issues with losing weight because insulin also controls how you make and store and use fat in your body. We know that a lot of women who undergo weight loss programs and who like are able to drastically lose weight talk about having or having PCOS generally. So I, I know that even so, you know, for example, Sara Ali Khan, who's of course spoken about the issue, uh, and we've seen her dramatic transformation as well. For a woman who who has the condition, if she follows the basic guidelines of fitness and nutrition, is it as easy for her to lose and maintain weight as another person, or is it? still going to be tougher for her generally to maintain weight in her in her life? It is very individual while there is no denying that it can be more difficult for people with PCOS to lose weight and you know to maintain quote unquote a healthy body status. It is not the case for everybody. <laughs> some people might find it more difficult, some might find it less difficult but with that said you do have to understand and always remember that the foundations here of how your body is going to process muscle and fat are different. There is a higher likelihood of it be being a little bit more complicated but that is not the case for everyone and I do not want people to be like I have PCOS so you know I will never be able to fix this and I will not exercise. Might take a little bit more effort and one thing that we always tend to miss in this conversation is that um, we focus so much on oh you have to do everything, you have to get great sleep and no stress and great nutrition and lots of exercise. None of that. You just want consistency. Build a program that you can follow in terms of your nutrition, with your sleep, with your stress and with the kind of exercise you are doing. Even if it is low impact exercise every single day, mm. even if it is a 30 minute walk, just do it 7 days a week. That is it. Okay, maybe 6 days a week, you need one day of rest. Do we have an understanding of, of the kind of exercises that actually benefit women with PCOS, like is there like are, are women who go who have the condition are they benefited by from a certain kind? Because I was reading up somewhere about how um, cardiovascular training helps uh, reduce uh, insulin resistance. So is that true at all? Or there's a lot of conflicting data on this, which is why it's very difficult to say that oh no, it's definitely cardio that will help you reduce your resistance. I think. Uh, one of the best science-backed methods we have for bettering your health when you have PCOS or in any case is uh, strength training. Okay. So doing some weight training where you encourage your muscles to, to develop more and in general for vulva owners it's better to do strength training and just like incorporate a little bit of in your life because um, when we hit menopause our hormones change and our risk of osteoporosis or brittle bones essentially mm. increases. Mm. So if you strengthen your bones from the get-go, it's better for your future as well and uh, we do have lots of evidence that strength training is good for your insulin metabolism, your sugar metabolism, your fat metabolism. So cardio is great but I also understand cardio makes you want to die sometimes. <laughs> for example, I hate cardio okay. but if there is like any form of exercise you can enjoy, just do that. I don't believe that people should get caught up in that this is the best exercise for right. PCOS. Right. Anything that people can do, consistency over perfection any day.
I want to ask you, Doctor, about some general uh, things relating to fitness and you know fitness in women, which is of course. The most common topic is, um, you know, how much should I exercise during my periods? Are there any do's or don'ts relating to that? So can you talk about that a little bit? So in terms of uh, exercising on your period, I think it's very individual. A lot of people don't like doing anything at all on their period, which is very reasonable. It's a difficult time. If people do want to exercise, I recommend um, light low intensity activities so you're not stressing your body out too much okay. um, a lot of people find that certain yoga asanas are very good for relieving pain if that's the case go ahead if you find that there's you know that post exercise endorphins is doing good things for you and it's making you feel better hmm. then go ahead but you don't want to be extremely intense on your training when you're on your period because okay. you know your body does need a little bit of rest so if it is someone who who does take part in intense training regimes you're saying cut it down during this way. Yeah, so we have lots of evidence to show that um, low impact exercise is really, really good at a time like this. There is a British uh, doctor who has a lot of good, easy to understand content. Her name is The Food Medic mm. and she posts a lot of like simple graphs that we can, you know, look at to see how your hormones behave on your period and how that can impact your muscle building and how that can impact your sugar metabolism and things of that sort. Okay. So there is an impact for sure. Mm. And that's why it's better to give yourself some rest. Mm. And uh, for some people, if they want to skip it entirely, that's also okay. Mm. Mm. But um, the main focus is that you don't want to push yourself too much when you're on your period because uh, exhaustion. So, I mean, obviously, we come across like the like n number of facts about what you should and shouldn't do. So, I think the most common one that I've heard is don't do anything that, that involves inversions. Now, is that true at all? A lot of people think that if you, you know, turn yourself upside down, your blood's going to go back into your body and it's yeah, going to be, oh my exactly. God, wow. So when we think of the uterus, we have to think of it like a really exclusive club, okay? <laughs> it's like a very posh, difficult entry club. The big fat bouncer standing outside who's not going to let anybody in. This bouncer in this case is called the cervix. The cervix is a donut shaped part of the uterus. It's at the end. Think of a balloon and think of an inflated balloon. You know how the end has like that little ring on it? Yeah. The cervix is kind of like that, but it's more thick. Okay. It controls what's going into that super exclusive club okay. and what's coming out of it. So usually it's like one directional. Okay. Blood can only come out. Blood doesn't go rushing back like that. Hmm. And unless you've given birth multiple times and you've done that vaginally, your cervix is not going to stay open. If you've given multiple births vaginally, there is like a slight, it's like a half open mouth mm. but otherwise the cervix is like a pinhole mm. like mm. a small one mm. so it's not likely that the blood will go rushing back doing inversions on a period when you're in so much pain sounds like a pain in the butt to me <laughs> but there's no medical reason why you shouldn't you know not you shouldn't be doing inversions or what have you the blood is not going to go rushing back into you. Moving on to, of course, uh, you know, the subject of infertility. Infertility can be caused due to a lot of aspects, but anything of them that's linked to someone's physical health. So maybe like a body fat percentage that's too low or too high or any other factors that could be linked to how they physically are. So there's lots and lots of reasons why subfertility or infertility might happen. One of the main things we see in terms of health is, you know, there's a trend happening in the past, I would say, 10 years called orthorexia. Okay. Now, orthorexia is when it's, it's an eating disorder. It's a disordered eating pattern where you're so focused on clean eating and, you know, only eating the right foods and only eating very low fat diets and exercising way too much that um, 
you essentially disrupt what's supposed to be normal for your body. You're supposed to have a balance. And if you're not eating enough fat, if you're not eating enough carbohydrate and noticing the low carb diet that works for some people but you know there's a certain minimum you you're supposed to have and if you're not getting that the way your body makes hormones changes in in our reproductive years our hormones run the show mm. <laughs> they're the stars mm. so they impact your all over health so if you're eating too little if you're exercising too much then the way your body makes those hormones is not appropriate you know if you're not feeding it it can't make stuff you have to put stuff in the machine for the machine to mm, print stuff out essentially um there's no ink there's no print out um so if you're not um eating right in terms of getting the right amount of fats and you know macronutrients mm. you can impact your hormonal health and this can lead to subfertility for some people they lose periods forever if they have especially people who have anorexia and things of that sort and you know they kind of forever impact their hormonal health and requires a lot of intensive treatment to get it back to the baseline or the regular levels aside from the hormonal aspects of action <laughs> there's also you know for men uh, and for penis owners um if you use steroids if you're like a serious gym bro <laughs> and you're mm-hmm. taking too much steroids that can impact your testicular health if you've been hit in the nuts very very badly okay. <laughs> essentially it can make a difference for example i remember um, when i was in the uk we were discussing this case of a patient who had come to our uh, clinic and he had a history of some fertility issues there was no reason why there would be fertility issues in this particular person um we took a detailed history it it didn't seem like he had any childhood infections or anything of that sort but he just didn't make the right amount of sperm so there was fertility problems there and then eventually after a very very long history taking we find out that this poor man had been uh, kicked in the crown jewels by a horse okay. <laughs> when he was a kid oh, okay. and that um destroyed his sperm factory forever Never. essentially yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's not to say that if you've ever been hit in the nuts you're not going to be able to make sperm but if it's impactful enough or if you have you know severe mumps in your childhood or things like that if there's been like testicular injury or assault then it can impact your fertility that way other than that physical health wise i mean there's a whole umbrella of things that can happen but these are the main i would say things you know injury your exercise your eating and steroids okay and smoking smoking oh but it's not physical health we obviously uh, speak to a lot of women about uh, these issues and we had some questions from them about what they wanted to know the most with regards to this subject um and the first thing that i want to ask you doc is um what is a good age for a woman who wants to consider freezing her eggs what age should that happen should it be like 32 33 34 or do we talk about like you know 40 41 what is like the right age to consider it I especially love that you use those particular numbers because we often think that you know 34 I'll freeze my eggs or whatever. Yeah. The ideal age to do it is early. You want to freeze your eggs. I mean, I understand financial constraints are a thing. So late 20s is the best part because as you grow older, basically think of this that you are born with a certain amount of money in the bank. Mm. Let's make it this way. Mm. By the time you hit puberty, you already have 40,000 eggs remaining. you've lost millions of eggs at this point already and then out of those 40000 there's only so many you can like you know your body pushes out a few every month mm. 
there's only so much money in the bank and as the years go by that money is going to dwindle that's why if you consider freezing your eggs early you have more in reserve to pull out of your body if you do it when you're 34 35 you're already hitting you know the the lower end of the number of eggs you will have the average age of india in men for menopause is 43 wow so if you're considering freezing at 37 you're already like at the last dregs i didn't think 37 was late at all i wish we were given more fertility education and i only know this because you know my parents are fertility specialists and then i became like i studied fertility myself otherwise even i thought oh you know if i'm not ready for it by 35 then i'll consider freezing my eggs but um, i'm actually scheduled to do it next year oh, okay. <laughs> at 29 <laughs> because um, the earlier you do it the better because when you're younger you also have better quality eggs and as the years go by the quality and the number both goes down if, if undergoing uh, you know the process of freezing your eggs does that uh, th- does that hamper your chances to conceive naturally after that no no not at all so essentially one thing that's very important is when we think about freezing the eggs people think that you know you're going and digging out more than you should take out as for example every month you have an emi every month you take out 20000 rupees to pay off i don't know your loan and you're thinking that if I want to pay off my loan in one go <laughs> and put out some more money in the bank, I will take out 40,000 rupees this month and it will be a bigger strain on me financially. That's what most people consider egg freezing as, mm. that every month I'm losing one egg and if I freeze my eggs, I'll lose 10 eggs that month. That's not the case because every month our body actually develops lots of eggs. You develop, say, 12 or 15 and out of those, one becomes big and that is the egg that's ovulated. In any case, you're losing 10 or 15 eggs. What you can do is instead of letting one egg develop, uh, like sort of become big and what I call like the godfather egg, mm-hmm. um, instead of letting just that one become the godfather egg, you make all of them godfather eggs. So we give drugs, so all 12 or 15 of these develop, become full grown eggs. Mm. We get all of these out instead of just letting the rest of them die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're not losing your egg f- potential really in life. So I know that a lot of women who are undergoing IVF treatments um, discuss uh, about what is the right amount of exercise that they should get. So it's not just about exercising for the treatment to go smoothly, but also about the women who are concerned about their physical health generally. I know that you know the IVF treatment can last for a long time very often if you have to go through one cycle or another cycle. Um, and they want to know what are the f- ways to stay physically fit during that period. Do you have any recommendations on that? What happens in egg freezing is the same process that happens in IVF. You stimulate more eggs to be produced. And the only part that's missing in egg freezing is that there's no sperm that you, you know, introduce to these eggs. So it's only one half we're doing. Which means that you're still encouraging the ovary to produce more full-sized eggs. Okay. Normally you're producing one full-sized egg. Here you're producing 20 full-sized eggs, mm. which means your ovaries are huge. Mm which means that and your ovaries are like a like a grip they're attached to one tiny part of your body and otherwise they're just like hanging from just that part really Mm. so if imagine with that small twig that it's attached with you normally have a cricket ball sized ovary yeah 
over here you have a basketball sized ovary hmm. which means that if you jump too much you can twist this twig okay oh that's what's ovarian torsion exactly that's what i read about <laughs> okay okay so the likelihood of you getting ovarian torsion which is where the ovary essentially twists on itself the mm. little you know that dhaga it's hanging from mm. it can flip over mm. of course extreme pain but that little dhaga that it's attached from that's where all of the blood supply and the nutrition to the ovary is coming from so if you twist it on itself you lose blood supply which means that that part can die so ovarian torsion is a medical emergency mm. if you are getting any kind of stimulation to your ovaries in terms of uh, for your ivf for your freezing you do not want to do high impact jumping activities okay you want to focus on like i would say avoid running but you want to do more sort of relaxing stretchy poses you want to do say things like pilates you don't want to do very advanced yoga you want to get regular exercise mm. but not something super intense understood because the risk of ovarian torsion is too high uh anything else doctor that you think you know uh, warrants discussion in in this uh, conversation that maybe i've missed asking you so people with pcos uh, a lot of my patients particularly struggle with the mental health aspects of it um that you know why does nobody tell me about this why am i just put on you know some medicines and i'm told to go home yeah. and the thing is there is a higher risk of um, particularly depression anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder in people with pcos so if you are feeling like you're struggling you're not abnormal mm. and there's lots of options available for help and you also do have to understand that there is a higher risk of a person with pcos to be having these issues so i basically want to say don't feel out of place and don't try to blame yourself or your condition for it it's just how it is and the other thing that's super super important with pcos is that um think of pcos like a roof and you have that you you have to support that roof with four pillars mm. and these are all you need to do to manage your pcos of course you know consistency over everything i keep repeating it mm. um but your four pillars are sleep nutrition stress and exercise you just want to hit these four check boxes just a little bit every single day and over time this is what takes to manage your pcos pcos is not something that you're like oh one pill and done mm, yeah it 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 is unfortunately or fortunately you know it forces you to be healthy <laughs> and it is a long term thing and there's no quick solution for it so don't fall those don't fall for those gimmicky quick solution nonsense things i've spoken to women who have pcos and i i, I find the biggest apprehension in the fact that they worry that um if they slack on their routine it's going to always become equally bad for them as it always was so is is that always like a thing of is that a struggle that they have to constantly face but I mean, it's a bit of a balancing act for sure okay but it's not that if you know, you don't exercise for 2 days or yeah. you're not able to sleep properly for 5 days you'll you know your pcos will rage back or whatever yeah. a lot of people use the term reverse pcos which i'm not particularly fond of but also i feel like it's it's a better term than curing pcos so yeah you can essentially put it in remission with your decent habits and you can control all of your symptoms and all of the hormonal imbalances but um yeah you do have to be a little it. bit more diligent than an average person thank you so much doc for joining us it was really nice to have you here thanks a bunch doc thank you so much for having me it's always a pleasure talking to you nice <laughs> talking to you doc